Turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. Turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. And let me tell you what we're going to do on uh, beginning tonight and the next seven Wednesday nights. I think it's seven, maybe six. Uh, we have raising the bar lessons. I'm going to do the first one. And tonight in just a moment, and don't change here, but in just a moment, I'm going to talk about spiritual maturity. Uh, and then next Wednesday night, Jim, he's going to be talking about raising the bar of faith in your life. Uh, and then uh, we've got Ryan. Ryan's going to be sharing. Josh, I don't know what Ryan's topic is yet, but I know, Josh, are you still on raising the bar of financial integrity? He's going to do that. And then uh, uh, Trent, who's not here, he's working. He's going to do one. Uh, and so everybody say raising the bar. So uh, that's the that's the format of of Wednesday nights. And so uh, and you see church, raising the bar is a church wide commitment campaign to transform the culture of our church family. Man, transformation is a process and we've begun a process. And I pray when we get to the end of this seven week effort, we will see bona fide visible evidence uh, of a transformation taking place in people's lives. And so with that in mind, let's jump into, I think our memory verse is next. Uh, let's whip it up and just go for our weekly memory verse. You can read it with me out loud. Laura quoted it. First Corinthians 15, three and four says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, what's that called? That's called the, that's the gospel. Man, we got to get that one down. And so there's our memory verse. Uh, and uh, here's the three focus point of our commitment. Uh, I already said it, but let's whip it through real quick. Right, uh, What's your name back there, Ike? A church-wide campaign to raise the bar of our personal commitment to Christ, His purposes, and we could say His purpose because His purposes all revolve around His purpose, and that is winning people to Jesus Christ. Amen? And then a personal commitment to our Church on the Rock North family. We want to raise that those three commitment levels up in our own personal life. Tonight, I'm going to begin by talking about spiritual maturity. Everyone say spiritual maturity. The process of growing spiritually. And I want you to look in Hebrews. We're going to, in fact, we're going to do a snapshot of the entire book, a, a really light snapshot of the entire book of Hebrews tonight, because it has a particular theme that certainly goes along with what we're going to say tonight. I want you to look in Hebrews chapter five. I'm going to read a few verses. This is kind of the crux of everything Hebrews is all about. Uh, and it says this, we'll jump in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now you catch the thought here. We're talking about spiritual maturity. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of God of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Everyone say full age. That means spiritually mature. That is, those who by reason of use or practice, one translation says, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on. Everyone say, let us go on. Let us go on to perfection. Now, that word doesn't reference perfection in the sense of being perfect, but it references spiritual maturity. Growing spiritually. And, and both of these, uh, commitment challenge, uh, 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 documents, they reference our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity. 
And so Hebrews is a great book to inspire us along these lines. It's a challenging book. In fact, if you'd like to just, hey, jump in and read the entire book when you realize the theme of this, uh, and, and I'll show that to you in a minute, but let me tell you who Hebrews was written to. It was written to Jewish believers who were considering returning to Judaism or merging their faith with a Jewish sect of the day. In other words, these the, the recipients of this book, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. I tend to think Paul did, but we just don't know. Uh, but it was written to people who were considering either chucking their Christianity and returning back to Judaism or, or the law, or merging their Christian faith with a Jewish sect of the time. In effect, what they were pondering and considering, they were going to lower the bar. They were, and that's what the writer of Hebrews understood. They're, they're watering down their, their commitment to Christ. They're lowering the bar. And let me tell you, for show, there's influences all around us in the day and hour we live that are impacting our spiritual journey, try to get us to lower the bar of our commitment and dumb down what it means to be born again and water down our commitment to Christ to where we come to the place where, where our commitment is really no commitment. And so that's what Hebrews is all about. So it would be a great, it would be a great study. In fact, as I looked through it this, this, uh, last couple of days, I thought, man, this would be a great book for us to go through in detail. So we may do that in 2016. Uh, but that's who it's written to. And so it works great for our thought tonight, especially when you look at these verses I read to you. And so let me tell you the theme of this, of this overall book. It's really, uh, when you read it, uh, it, it's the supremacy of Christ overall. I'm going to walk us through. When you read through Hebrews, you'll see it. I mean, you'll, you'll just see it when you start reading it and understanding, man, what the writer's saying, man, Jesus is, is, is all we need. He's, he's supreme over all things. And when you read Hebrews one, you'll see that. And I don't have time to read through it, but he's, he talks about, man, if the, if what the angel said is important, gee, hey, uh, look what that, what it says about Jesus. And Hebrews 1 is just pointing to the supremacy of Christ in all things. In fact, gosh, uh, and i just give you a scripture or two. Uh, oh, man, because there's so much. Well, let's just read the first four verses. I can't help it. But God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Everybody say all things through whom also he made the worlds. Now, what's he talking about? Man, we're talking about the person who's over it all. He created the whole thing. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by by himself purged our sins. You know what he just did? He just ripped to shred the law right there. No more blood of bulls and goats. What's he saying? It's the supremacy of Christ. It's not, it's not the keeping of the law. It's what Christ has done. In fact, gosh, jump over to Hebrews 9. Let me show you this theme. It's all through the book. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. 
with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. What's he doing? He's shredding the Judea, the, the, the Judaism of the day and the law of the day. He said he came to fulfill it all. He said he, he, he did so not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all. Everybody say once for all. So, and then he goes on to say, once for all, uh, having obtained eternal redemption, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling of the, uh, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Everyone say, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I could keep going. But how many of you get that? It's the supremacy of Christ in all things. And so he's, aw- he's trying to awaken these potentially wishy-washy, watered-down believers to the reality, if you start watering down who Jesus is and what he's done, you're going to end up with nothing. Okay, because he is supreme overall. So, and that's what he's endeavoring to do. Now, when you go through, I'm going to walk you through it. When you go through Hebrews 2 and 3, you'll discover that he starts warning these disciples, these followers of Christ, against the watering down of the supremacy and the authority and the majesty and the glory of Christ. In fact, look in chapter 2. Are you, are you going to follow me? Say, I'm following you, Pastor. Look in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, in other words, because of all who Jesus is and all He has done for us, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Everyone say, drift away. Man, that word, you you know I'm a look at the meaning of the word guy, right? We're going to do a lot of that tonight. But it means to carelessly allow to go with the flow and thus drift away. How many of you know spiritual maturity is a, is a swimming upstream against the current of the culture of our day, right? And he warns these disciples, he warns these believers that if you're not careful, if you don't give earnest heed to the things that you have heard from us, you're going to just drift away. You're going to just get in the flow. And listen, that's what the world system wants of all of us. Just to kind of get in the flow and just kind of don't rock the boat for goodness sake. Don't, don't rattle the cage at all. And, and just don't create a ruckus. Just got to go with the flow and hold out till Jesus comes. Listen, that, that is counterproductive to spiritual maturity. Because if you do that, you'll never grow spiritually. In fact, you'll begin to digress spiritually. Look what he says in verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, he's saying, listen, there is a consequence for just drifting away and neglecting the supremacy of Christ and all He has done for us. In fact, that word neglect means to be careless with, to make light of, to not value as important. Listen, that's what the culture of our day has done to the church, to make light of the church, 
to devalue the church, to devalue the plan of God, to devalue the purposes of God. And OMG, the whole hey Christian world, most of the time on Sunday morning, get up and they have to struggle to get to church. Now, am I right? Now, now I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir a bit here because you're here on Wednesday night. God bless you, little pea-picking heart. But the majority of America goes through a battle every Sunday morning. I'm talking about, I'm talking about church going folk. I'm talking about people who are supposed to be, you know, regular attenders. Everything on earth hits. And, and why? Because that's the flow. Ah, it's okay. It's okay to me. Now, let me just throw this out. Let me be balanced. You're not going to go to hell if you miss church every once in a while. I'm going to miss church here in a few. Uh, uh, it'll be af- on Sunday. It'll be after our commitment. I'll be in Mexico. I'll miss church on Sunday. But you think I'm not talking about legalism? You need to understand that. He he he. Hey, we're not talking about legalism, but we are talking about a a sit a, a world system that is eroding away our commitment levels and lowering the bar in our life. Are you with me? Say amen. So Hebrews chapter two and three talk about that, and then chapter three he uses the children of Israel, uh, and uh, and I won't spend a lot of time here, but he uses them as an illustration. The first wilderness wanderers who hey they drifted away, they neglected, and as a result they suffered the consequences. He just uses them as an illustration, and so then you get to Hebrews four, five, and six, which I read some verses from that. And you could title those as the challenge to continue. Or in other words, swim upstream in, and resist this drifting uh, 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 tendency that we all would have. And so that's what Hebrews 4, 5, and 6 do. Let me just show you the, this thought. Hebrews four eleven. Look at this. Look what he says. He says, uh, let us therefore be diligent. Somebody say diligent. Be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. In other words, don't, don't, hey, the children of Israel messed up. Those first wilderness wanderers messed up. You can't do that. You gotta be diligent to enter into that rest. You gotta keep pressing forward. Then he says in verse 12, he said, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what he's saying? Listen, you've got to let the word of God guide your life. You've got to press forward. You've got to be diligent. You've got to stay focused. Look in verse 14. He says this, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast. Everybody say hold fast. Let us hold fast our confession. So, man, what he's saying is, hey, don't yield to the, to the flow of mediocrity. Don't allow the influences of this world, whatever they may be, to water down your commitment to Christ. Oh man, I, I could just keep going. You know, he says, for seeing we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tipped as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Everybody say, come boldly. And so you see that emphasis 
on challenging us to continue to press forward in the arena of spiritual maturity. And then you get to chapter 5, uh, and, and though there's a lot here, uh, you could, you could, uh, he kind of diagnoses their issue. And I read it to you. Chapter tw- uh, 5, verse 12. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You should be teaching people, but you're still spiritually babies. Everybody go, <laughs> you're still babies spiritually. He said, by this time, you ought to be teaching people. Something has happened to these people. What has happened? They've allowed the, the, the bar to be lowered in their life. The commitment level to Christ has been lowered to the point that they are not growing spiritually. They are spiritually stunted. Are you with me? And church houses are filled with people. That's why in these commitments, commit to a personal spiritual growth plan. A lot of people have a lot of plans. I see Kimberly back there. She's got an education plan, don't you, Kimberly? She just started college, bless her heart, got saved about her and her family. They're all getting saved and moving forward in the right direction. And they're finding God's will and plan for their life. She has a plan for her education. Uh, and so she's a, she's a Lamar Cardinal and she's just getting going. But let me tell you something, even be above and beyond that, Kimberly, as well as all of us, need a spiritual growth plan. And I believe she does. In fact, uh, she can't, she works a lot, can't be here. I heard by a little uh, birdie in the air that she downloads my podcast or listens to me on the internet and she's growing spiritually. She's got a spiritual growth plan. And, but the writer says, you didn't do it and you're still babies. Okay, you got to press forward. That's what he said in verse 14. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age or spiritually mature. You're not there. You're still babies. You still just need milk and not solid food. And then you look in chapter 6. In fact, my, my little subtitle, they, they, I love the subtitle, The Peril of Not Progressing. What a sermon title. The Peril of Not Progressing. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to look what he says. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to spiritual maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, how many of you believe repentance, uh, and faith are big, big deals? To us, they're the big deal. But what, what the writer's saying here, uh, hey, though these are you don't leave them behind and not not embrace you embrace those principles and they lead you to new principles you know he's not saying cast them off uh you you take what you know but don't just keep going over the same old thing you got to keep growing you got to keep moving and and that's what he's saying and it's a and then he he warns them again the peril of not doing that and there's some scripture in there uh, that is theologically challenging. For example, it says, For it is impossible for those, verse 4, who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. Now he's talking to these people who had watered down their faith to the point that they were spiritually stunted and they were considering either uh, 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 embracing Judaism all over again or at least blit, trying to blend their Christian life into the, their old life and water it down. And so he's addressing them when he says, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and been partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, 
away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Now, that's theologically challenging right there. I'm not here to interpret that in totality, but I am here to tell you whoever was writing Hebrews was saying, the last thing you need to be doing is watering down your faith. There's consequences and peril for those people who go down that road. And let me just bring it up to us. There's, there's perilous things that can overtake those who choose not to grow spiritually. Who choose not to raise the bar in their spiritual life. Are you with me? And then he goes down in verse 9. He says this. Oh, oh gosh. Let's, yeah, let's, mm. yeah, verse 9. He, he, he lightens, he lets up a little bit. Okay, how many of you know when you hit hard, you got to let up a little bit or you, you just might and he lets up. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. He, and so he's trying to come around and he hit them really hard. Okay, you're a bunch of babies. <laughs> you're not growing spiritually. And there's great consequences for that. I just read them. He said, but beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to uh, the full assurance of hope until the end. And then he says this in verse 12, that you do not become sluggish. Everybody say sluggish. Man, when my blood sugar goes up, and it does, and it shouldn't because I'm supposed to keep it from doing that. But when it does, I get really sluggish. And what I have to do to counteract that sluggishness is get very active. In fact, a lot of times when I'm riding my bike, it's not just because I love the neighborhood. It's because I'm, I have to be active to keep that blood. I did it this afternoon. I thought I ate pretty good this, this morning and, uh, I fudged just a little bit, but I started feeling sluggish. I could tell, oop, I went and checked it, said, Hurr! I jumped on my back. Came home, felt so much better. But the tendency is to be sluggish. Now that word sluggish means everybody look up there and say it with me. Lazy. I'm convinced. That the reason 99 and 9 tenths percent of the people who don't grow spiritually. I'm just talking about the people who don't grow spiritually. The reason is that they're just spiritually lazy. And don't want to do what it takes. It's not the pastor's fault. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't like how the pastor preaches. It ain't, it, hey. I don't like, I, it, it, it's my mama's fault, my daddy's fault. I don't read good. I heard, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to chase a rabbit, but let me just say, this is a huge problem in our culture today. It used to not be. Before the days of, Cell phones, internet, television. He used to call it television. Not, I mean television. 
But before the days of, of being entertained all alone without interacting with God or any, people, people were not as spiritually sluggish as they are today. The bar has been lowered. We got lazy, fat, big, big, fat babies who are not growing spiritually. And if, and if you could, if you could unmask that, take off the mask of that, hi, how are you? God bless you. And see the real people in the majority of, of, of Christianity today, it would be <laughs> spiritually big old fat baby. I'm, am I telling you anything that's not true? I'm not picking on you. You're the cream of the crop here. But this is the culture we live in today. There's a, there's a whole world of spiritually lazy believers who want somebody to cram it down their throat. And if they cram it wrong, they get mad and leave and go somewhere else. Ooh, man, they got better. Ooh, they, they do it better over here. Woohoo, feed me, help me. And they think the church has, as a cruise ship for the saints. It's not. It's a fishing vessel for sinners. And it's not, there's no room for lazy baby. Somebody say, preach it, Pastor Sam, preach it now. <laughs> you go tell him I said that. <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the choir. So with that in mind, I'm going to just go through this. I'm going to give you a quickie snapshot. Let me see how much time I got, how fast I'm doing it. I'm going to do it pretty quick. Oh, see, right there. My son is right now lying. Oh, that may not be. He's periscoping right now. He's supposed to be in church. I don't know how that works. But uh, anyway, anyway. Hey, I'm going to give you some Hebrew from, that means from the, some Hebrew words and phrases that if you'll grab a hold to them, I'm going to go through Hebrews, they will help counteract the spirit of lazy. How many of you want to counteract the spirit of lazy? Whoo! Are you ready? Now, we can start by just buking the spirit of lazy. But I don't think that'll work near as well as going through. Now, remember, this book was written to those who were endeavoring or thinking or pondering, pardon me, of lowering the bar of their spiritual commitment to Christ and become spiritually lazy. So here we go. I'm going to go through the whole book, just pick out a few. There's a whole lot here. Uh, and uh, you can go through it in, 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 in more detail. Here we go. He, go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2.1. Some of these we read, but I'm going to just show them to you. Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed. Everyone say earnest heed. Man, that means to hold the mind towards. Let me tell you something. Hey, spiritual laziness is counteracted by the way we think. It means to hold the mind towards, to pay attention, to apply oneself. And in fact, it means that earnest means superabundantly, to superabundantly hold the mind towards, to, to superabundantly pay attention to, to superabundantly apply yourself. Give earnest heed to what we've been talking about here. And so, listen, that's a huge, uh, uh, directive to help, uh, uh, undermine the influence of the spirit of lazy you know gosh we're so uh we're so how many characters now if you can't say it in 120 something characters you know just you know uh we're so disengaged from concentrated thought 
Man, we could stop right there and go home chew on that. I'm just telling you the truth. You know, what's the, what's the phrase? Uh, attention deficit disorder. Now, that's a very real disorder. I think I probably have a, I probably had a hint of it when I was, well, maybe a bigger, you know, when I start reading a book, for example, this is the way it usually goes. In fact, by the way, you can buy my book Sunday. I'll, I'll sell you one Sunday. I'll just, hey, they're here. But here's what happens when I read, read a book. I'll get to reading and man, I'm, and then I'll realize about half a way through one page that I was reading words, but thinking of something else. I don't know if that's attention deficit disorder or not, but I have to, if I really want the content, I did that reading the New Testament today. I had to back up and say, where was I? And just start over and re-engage myself, okay? Hold the mind towards, to pay attention to. Uh, you know, uh, and you know what? And I love my, I'll tell you, I'm addicted to it. I'll be honest with you. I love my technology. Uh, but listen, this thing can be distracting. We pay more attention to this than we do our spiritual maturity. La -dee -da -da. I may never get through these. Here we go. I'll jump in. Let me give you another. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. He says this. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Here's that warning I was telling you about. But exhort one another daily. Everybody say, Exhort one another daily. That word exhort me is, is to build one another up. And let me tell you something. This is huge to, uh, to, in reference to your spiritual maturity. Listen, I'm going to say this again in a minute. But did you know spiritual maturity is not a solo sport? And in fact, if you read Ephesians 2, what does it say? That, that what we all have to offer, it builds one another up and it builds up the church. Spiritual maturity is a group project, my friend, and you cannot do it alone. That's why we need one another. That's why we should exhort one another daily. Uh, and so, just a great word to help you counteract the spirit of lazy. And then chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Let us therefore be diligent. Everyone say diligent. Man, diligent, that word means, uh, uh, it, it just means, it's, it's, it really has to do with labor. Therefore, let us labor. Everyone say labor. That takes work. That takes effort. That takes, uh, uh, you know, consistent persistence. And, and when you look at your spiritual maturity, you realize that the whole world's trying to water you down and make you spiritually lazy and be a, <laughs> you know, uh, hey, uh, come on now. Uh, we got to change all that and we got to say, man, I've got to be diligent about this business. I got to labor to enter into the rest. I've got to labor to get into the things of God. That's what spiritual maturity is all about. It's, hey, it's not for the faint of heart. It's to counteract the faint of heart. Are you with me? Here's another one, 416. Come boldly. Everyone say, come boldly. 
Verse 16, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let, let's put this in the context of spiritual maturity. Listen, uh, when you're, when you need to grow spiritually, the last thing you need to be uh, doing is watering down your commitment to Jesus Christ. You got to get in his presence. You got to come boldly. That means to come freely and frankly. Everyone say freely and frankly. Uh, it's, it's almost like this. We get into his presence and I'm just busting and right on in, and I, let, let's let's talk. We got to be frank here. I got issues, and connect with Jesus and His presence freely and frankly. Come boldly, man. That'll counteract the spirit of lazy. You get in His presence, Amen. And then here's another six one. I love this one. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on. Everyone say, go on. Oh, I love this one. It means to have an inner drive and motivation. Listen, it's about desire. In fact, what did James say about just new, new Christians and, and, and spirituality? He said, James said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may what? Grow thereby. And he's, and he's telling, uh, uh, these, in fact, if you went back up to verse 11, they had become dull of hearing. They were spiritual dullards and babies <laughs> and lazy. And he said, listen, you got to go on to maturity. You've got to, you got to regain in a sense the, the desire for this. If you don't desire to grow spiritually, you're in serious trouble. Uh, uh, you've got to have a, something on the inside of you that gets you up every morning and says, we got to get into the Bible. We got to seek the Lord. We can't let this, we can't become, uh, uh dullards. We can't be, uh, uh, spiritually uh, fat, big old babies who don't grow spiritually and suffer the consequences. Of that, I'm going to grow spiritually. Something on the inside of us has to awaken a desire in our heart to be more like Him. I'll give you a little insight to that in a minute. Here's another one, 612. He said, he said this, uh, he said, that you not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the uh, promises. Imitate. In other words, follow others who have a good example. Let me, let's, let me tell you, spiritual, I said it a while ago, spiritual maturity is not a solo, uh, uh, sport. It's not something you do all by yourself. It's, it's a group, uh, effort. And there are people that God puts in our life and, and that we have a responsibility to allow them into our life, uh, to encourage us to, to, uh, 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 challenge us that we can follow after their life and 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 grow spiritually because of the influence of others. Ask yourself, who are you letting into your world to influence you and to help you grow spiritually? Looking, oh, let's go all the way over to. I'm sure I missed some between there, here and there, but go to chapter ten, verse thirty-five and thirty-six. For you have come, uh, verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that if you've done, after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Here, that, that phrase, cast away your confidence, it means to throw off or lose. Confidence really is the same word as that come boldly. Don't cast away your, your, your boldness to come into the presence of God. Don't throw it away. 
I told that, that's what I told little Lisa from the UK. I said, don't chuck your faith now, girl. Just because you've been through a pain, you lost your daddy and you stopped believing. You can't do that. Don't ca- hey, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. And then let's go to chapter 12, verse 1. Another word and phrase to help us combat the spirit of lazy. Uh, it says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Everyone say lay aside. That means to put away and to cast off. Now, here we go. The first, the, the one right before, uh, there's some things you don't cast away, but there's some things you need to cast away. There's some things, those sins and those weights that so easily ensnare you. Listen, uh, just the spirit of lazy will come upon you. And let me tell you something. Sin will make you spiritually lazy. It will. It'll make you just dull. And you'll lose, in fact, the Scripture says, uh, you'll lose your connection with God at the place of prayer. And so, writer of Hebrews says to all these folks who, who were thinking about watering down their faith, and he, you know, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. He said, you can't do that. In fact, what you need to, you don't need to lay down your faith. You need to lay down these sins and weights which so easily ensnare you. Pray for me, Pastor. I got a sin and a weight. Let it go. Let me pry it out of your hand and let it go. Everybody say, lay aside. And then here's, here's another in that same verse. I love this one. Uh, verse two. Uh, he says, no, no, no. Uh, 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 let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Everybody say, run with endurance. I love this because the, 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 the original gives you something a little better. It says, run with cheerful endurance. Everyone say cheerful. Listen, the spiritual journey ought to be a happy one. And listen, how many of you know attitude is huge when it comes to spiritual growth? He said, in this race, you lay aside these things that so easily beset you and run your race with endurance, with a cheerful heart. Everybody smile and go, hallelujah. Man, smile a while and give your face a rest. Get some attitude. Listen, attitude is huge when it comes to pressing forward into the things of the Spirit. And if you're walking and running through this life with a ho-hum, the tune is dumb, or oh, woe is me. Whine, complain, murmur. You're not going to grow spiritually. You're going to become spiritually lazy. By the way, I read an article the other day from a guy who, I think he's a multimillionaire. He wrote a book about millionaires and their attitudes uh, and some of the attitudes that all millionaires have. And, and his studies show that, that most every millionaire that he ever studied, that the com- one of the common attitudes is they refuse to complain about anything. Christians need to learn that a little bit. Might help us spiritually. Might help us financially. Uh, and so, a cheerful attitude. Here at chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, looking unto. He says, looking unto Jesus. Everyone say, looking unto Jesus. 
Really that phrase, he says it a couple of ways, uh, and really uh, that, that phrase looking unto, it means to consider, ponder, think about, uh, get your mind focused on Jesus and all that he's done, and, and let him be the, the Lord and the leader of your life. Consider, think about Jesus in these tough times. When you're growing spiritually, listen, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus, you've got to consider him and all he's done and how he's gone th- through it all for us, uh, and, and he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, my goodness. Everybody say, looking unto Jesus. And then go to chapter 12, verse uh, 12 and 13. Uh, here's a word, strengthen. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And I could keep going, but let me just throw this word strengthen out to you. It doesn't mean spiritually strong in the sense. It means to straighten just like the next verse. Therefore, straighten the hands which hang down. Man, and, and then when you get the context and make straight paths for your feet. In other words, straighten up. Everybody say straighten up. Man, look at your neighbor. If you're going to grow spiritually, you got to straighten up. Tell somebody, you best better straighten up. You ever heard that from your parents? <laughs> you better straighten up, boy. <laughs> Listen, spiritual maturity requires us. And if we're, if we're not, if we're going to combat laziness, we got to straighten up now. Straighten up with our attitude, straighten up with our life, pursue peace and holiness. Woo. Don't hey per, hey straighten up with your relationships with others. Looking carefully, verse fifteen. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many are defiled. Look at somebody else. Say, you better straighten up. In other words, don't let these things into your life. They'll cause you to be spiritually lethargic and dullards. <laughs> And then one more. Let's go over to chapter 13, verse 15. He says this. Therefore, by him, that is by Jesus, let us continually offer. Everyone say continually offer. The sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name. In other words, let our life, that word continually offer means to constantly through all time. You're like, oh, listen. If you just keep it up in your praise and worship to Him constantly through all time, you will have a hard time being spiritually lethargic and lazy. You'll be in His presence. With that in mind, I know it's time for me to hush. I'm going to give you four quick thoughts about spiritual maturity. And here they are. All right? Number one, spiritual maturity should be normal. For a Christian, growing spiritually should be normal. And the illustration in chapter 5, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You, in other words, there's a normal process here that should have been happening, but you're spiritually stunted. Your growth has been stunted. But for, the, for a believer who embraces the supremacy of Christ in all things, spiritual growth should be normal. That's what we do. We don't sit around and be stunted in our spiritual growth. That should be normal. Number two, spiritual maturity is not, even though it's normal, it's not automatic. It takes effort and energy. It says for everyone who partakes, everyone say partakes. 
for everyone who partakes. In other words, it requires a constant partaking uh, for spiritual growth and maturity to take place. You've got to continue to partake. And then it says, oh, where does it say in verse 13? Uh, verse 14, solid f- food belongs to those who are of full age. That That is those who by reason of use, everyone say use. That word is better translated practice. In other words, it's not automatic. It takes practice, practice, practice. You've got to stay with it. Yes, it's normal, but it's not automatic. In other words, and it's not instantaneous either. How many of you realize it's not instantaneous? Just because you got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, spoken tongues, doesn't make you anything more than a newborn baby. Amen? It's not automatic. It takes effort and energy and practice. And it's not easy. I want to be the first to tell you, spiritual growth is not easy. In fact, chapter 5, verse 14, he talks about those who, who, are, who have matured, who have practiced in these things, have their senses exercised. Everyone say exercise. How many of you know exercise is not always easy? And if it's easy, it's not really exercise. Right, Brent? Anybody pumping iron around Josh? He exercises physically as well as spiritually. If it's easy, it's not working, right? If it's easy, it's not working. If your Christian life is just easy greasy, it ain't working. You're not growing. (laughs) Am I with you? It's not easy. And you know what? You know what a lot of people do when they realize they get saved? Oh, I got saved. Hallelujah. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, Jesus loves me. I love everybody. Love Jesus. And then they realize it's not easy. They go, (laughs) it's not easy. No. That's why we need the church. People chuck their faith because it's not easy. Hey, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And the number four, spiritual maturity is a non-negotiable. It's not optional. That's what chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, and all the serious nature of his wording there. What he's saying, you really don't have an option here. You can't negotiate spiritual maturity. You either do or you don't. And if you don't, you're in serious trouble. You'll lower the bar to the point of an oblivion of commitment to Christ. Everybody say, raise the bar. We've got to raise the bar of our spiritual maturity. 